This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to return to the Sermon on the Mount this morning, chapter 6. In this sermon on a mountainside on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is teaching the true citizens of his kingdom what their lives should be in this alien world that we call earth. Though there is much hardship here, kingdom citizens can know the unparalleled happiness and blessing of mountaintop living. And the Lord has taught us some important things about that even recently. The abundant life through the Spirit-filled life. And Jesus is teaching His citizens that even though they're in a hostile place, they can have happiness, blessing, have the power of God. We're going to see this morning that that also is directly tied, as we yield to the Spirit of God, directly tied to biblical prayer and something that we don't hear much preaching on, but the matter of fasting. And in the time that we have this morning, we're going to begin this message looking at what Jesus taught on fasting. And then, uh, though this is not our uh, regular practice, if need be, tonight. But I don't want to hurry through uh, the teaching that the Lord has for us today. If I asked you to give a biblical explanation of fasting and why the Lord requires it, could you do it? If I came to you as a fellow believer... And I said, I'm reading about fasting in the Bible. Can you help me understand what it is and why it's important? Would you have a working understanding and would you be able to explain what fasting is? I hope this is not true, but I'm guessing that maybe a lot of folks here would struggle to do that. Well, I I think that you don't eat for a while. But do you really understand how important it is? And do you understand that when it comes to some of the greatest spiritual battles and the decisions we have to make as a Christian, fasting is a key essential. It just is. And I'm so thankful, along with everything else, that the Lord in His Word has given us the truth we need to be able to employ this tool, this weapon, this privilege to be able to see the mighty hand of God literally move mountains. So through the Lord's teaching in Matthew 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 18, we need to understand today what fasting from the Scripture truly is. And I'm asking God to lead us down that path today. So let's pray. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to illumine our minds, to lead us into truth. You guide us into truth. You convince us of truth. 
And Lord, only you can help us understand what is so important for our lives, our sanctification. And Lord, in spite of this vessel, Lord, would you work mightily. And, and Father, change us, make us willing to employ fasting and prayer. Lord, that it might be routine with us because we understand it's so important. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled our message today, The King's Counsel on True Fasting. The King's Counsel on True Fasting. Now as we take up the Lord's teaching on fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, it becomes obvious from the very start that first, true fasting is expected. There are a lot of other things the Lord expects from us. To be witnesses. I got convicted about that just listening to these ladies. You know, we, we can go door to door and collect money for this cause and that cause. We should go door to door and tell people about Jesus. That's expected. There are a lot of other things that the Lord expects from us. But fasting is included in that. How do we know? Well, look at verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, not if, but when this is assumed. It's mentioned again in verse 17. So in these three verses mentioned twice, it's expected that you and I are going to fast. Now within the context, Jesus assumes fasting would be practiced by his followers, just like he assumed that heaven's citizens would give to the poor. That's back in verse 3. When ye give your alms. He expects that we pray. Verse 5, when you do that. Fasting is assumed by Jesus because it's commanded in the Old Testament. Let's take a closer look at what happens in the Old Testament that is essential and foundational for our understanding today. In the instructions on the Day of Atonement, and you want, might want to write down some references. I'll just give them to you. We're not going to be able to take time to look all of these up. But write down Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 to 31. Also write down Leviticus 23, 27 to 32. Again, chapter 16, and then chapter 23. And then also write down Numbers 29, 7 to 11. Numbers 29, 7 to 11. Now in all of these passages, we have the teaching on the Day of Atonement. There was an annual day every year where the children of Israel would stop everything they were doing and they would observe this day of atonement, and along with this, uh, this, uh, the observance of this, there were some very special instructions of what should happen on this day. In all of these passages that I've given to you, one of the instructions was this: On that day, you are to afflict your souls. What's that mean? Well, essentially it means this, you are to earnestly examine your hearts to see if your heart is in tune with the Lord. Is there anything unyielded? Is there any sin that's being harbored? 
you take a look at your heart, your divine will, in light of the presence of God. So look for known sin. And do that in order that you might offer up sacrifice, literal sacrifices, and it's all explained there, but their offering sacrifices was the equivalent to what we do today in confessing our sin. So we identify, we allow the light of, of the Lord to just shine into our hearts, to expose anything there that's not right. And then we be, we're willing to make the sacrifice of humbly admitting to God, this is not right. This is out of line with what you have said in your word and confessing it to him, saying the same thing and then having a heart to turn from it. Now, part of this was a fast. If you read those passages, you'll say, well, I don't see the actual word fast there. But here's, here's where the word is, is there. They were to not participate in any work. It was supposed to be a Sabbath. In other words, you detach yourself from all the things that you would normally do that would distract you from a humble, quiet heart exam. Now, why is it important that there be a a, a Sabbath, a, a, uh, a separation from other essential things, because those things can all distract you. And so you get alone with your God. You don't get involved in any, any pleasurable work, regular work. And then is what's understood in here is fasting from food. And you say, okay, so if I go back to those passages, will I see that? Well, here's where you will see that. At the same time that these sacrifices were being made, Day of Atonement, God commanded that the high priest at that time not eat of any of the sacrifices. In other words, it was another fast. The New Testament equivalent, all right, is the fact that you and I are kings and priests with God. They had a high priest in the Old Testament. We have one high priest, that's the Lord Jesus, but he has made us kings. How does that fit in? Well, this is, this is teaching about kingdom citizens. You're, you're princes, you're kings with God. You're part of a kingdom. You're children of the king. Isn't that wonderful? But as children of the king... You have direct access to the Lord. But what is being taught here is the high priest, Old Testament, was not allowed to partake of any of those sacrifices. It was a fast because he also was sacrificing and that which represented his sin. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to follow the strict instructions about the Day of Atonement. If he walked in there and things were not followed, and if he himself had not thoroughly examined his own heart, he may walk in, but he's not walking out. It's the holy place. It's the presence of God. Now, there's so much there that, uh, that we need to understand about our, our relationship with the Lord and going into His presence. Praise God, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, all of our sin, past, present, future, it's all washed away. Amen? 
But the Lord also tells me that if I go into His presence and I am aware of any iniquity in my heart, He won't hear me. Now that means that I need to take a quiet, humble look into what's here before I try to go into His presence. And what does the Lord require? Brokenness. We've been talking about that, right? Humility. Honesty. And fasting helps get you there. Now we'll say more about that in a moment. Dilich, which is one of the best known Old Testament uh, commentators, said this on the Old Testament. He is correctly called the Day of Atonement, the Good Friday of the Old Testament. Why does he say that? Well, quote, How deeply the consciousness of sin must be awakened. And even the high priest himself stood before, the God, before God as a sinner. He's still capable of sin and needing to make sure that his heart had been thoroughly examined before he went in before the Lord. Now, we're not, we don't lose our standing with God if we try to approach him in sin. We have been forgiven, but the fellowship is broken. All right? We are always and will always be in Christ, children of the Father. But if I try to go on my terms and not His, fellowship's broken. And so, while I'm not suggesting that Good Friday is now a, something mandatory that the church observe, I think it is a wonderful reminder to us that a blood sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, had to be made so you and I could have access to God. All right, we observed Good Friday this year um, and, and uh, celebrated the Lord's table. Uh, what an important time uh, to, to at least pause and reflect. Now, what does this have to do with the church? Well, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, just to put everything in perspective, Hebrews 10 and verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, including Day of Atonement, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereof perfect or complete. Remember Old Testament? Those sacrifices covered sin. New Testament? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now as a Christian, year by year, continually, uh, uh, I'm sorry, as Christians, we don't have an annual day of atonement. Okay? However, Hebrews 4.29 says this, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So what is Hebrews teaching? Well, his purpose uh, was to give himself, that sacrifice is perfect now and complete. And it atoned for all of our sins, washed those sins away. As priests we go before God now, every day, for cleansing. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, continues to cleanse us from all sin. 1 John 1 
and verse 7. So don't miss this important point. Just as Israel expected to set aside, was expected to set aside a specific time to afflict their souls before the Lord, I would submit to you today that as believers we should also take time regularly. Now, it's not mandated how regular that is. That's between you and the Spirit of God. But I will say this, I believe that we all need to do this regularly to humble ourselves, fast from earthly distractions, work, pleasure, food, even sleep, to earnestly, honestly examine the true condition of our hearts. Now this is, this is where being spirit-controlled is so important. Say, well, Pastor, tell, tell us how to do this. Well, it's better if the Holy Spirit tells you how to do it. Well, how, how long should it be? Well, the Holy Spirit will tell you how long it takes. But based on what He is showing you in your heart that needs to change for His glory and your benefit. The Lord has already given us instruction on this in the Mount of, or, or in the Sermon on the Mount. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, these same themes go all the way back to the Beatitudes, don't they? Be poor in spirit, mourn over sin, hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. What is sometimes needed to get us there? You just need to get along with God and set aside everything else in your daily routine. And yes, at times, even what your body requires. So that you can let the light of God shine in your hearts and change whatever there He wants to reveal. This is what kingdom citizens do now. And fasting is a necessary part of that. Now, just in the broader scope of things, you'll remember that during uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, there were those that came to Him and were critical because the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. Uh, the disciples of John the Baptist, they were fasting, and they asked the Lord, why don't your disciples fast? And what did Jesus say? Well, they're not right now because the bridegroom is with them. But when the bridegroom goes away, they will fast too. Again, it's assumed, and it's assumed that it's necessary. And so let me just stop the train right now and say, folks, your life, the world we live in, fasting is essential. I didn't get too many amens from that. It's essential. And I think as we continue to look at God's word, it will even impress that on our hearts even more. Now, not only was fasting done to pray over personal sin, but fasting was done to pray over national sin. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Daniel's prophecy? Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 9, 
And here we have the example of a godly prophet who, by the way, is still willing to examine his own heart humbly in light of his God. So that convicts Mike because if Daniel felt the need to do this, I know I need to do this. But notice Daniel's prayer, Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. In the year of his reign, verse 1, Darius' reign, I, Daniel, understood by books of the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. There would be seven years of chastening and judgment and captivity because of the national sins. Verse 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I set my heart. My nation is in serious trouble. The Lord has revealed the exact time that He's going to judge my nation. By the way, let me just stop and say, America, we are under the judgment hand of God. But we're too foolish to see it. That's why we're spending ourselves into oblivion. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow doesn't matter. Oh, it does. We're murdering our babies before they're even born. And in this state, we have a governor who suggests that maybe even after they're born, we ought to consider it. Folks, I'm just being honest. You say, well, pastor, that's not very nice. And it's just true. By the way, woke is broke. Here's a verse for you. Awake to righteousness and sin not. But then the verse goes on to challenge the church, for there are those that don't have the knowledge of the gospel, and I speak this to your shame. What a powerful verse. That's a message. That's a verse and a message all in, it, in itself. How are we going to change the darkness? We confront it with the light, lovingly. But woke is broke. We, you know, are we so desperate for guidance that we're listening to 20-somethings who think they have influence on social media? Give me a break. I'll tell you where the light is. It's right here. And this is where we need to turn, and this is where Daniel was turning as he prayed and fasted before the Lord. Verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. This is Daniel. And again, it reminds me, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and if they will turn from their wicked ways. Let's not sit here, and I don't stand here today pious thinking, well, I've arrived past, no, no, no. I need to examine this heart because it can so easily turn to sin. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled 
even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Woke is when we acknowledge what God has said and we submit to it. Verse 6, Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, again, because we have rejected you, confusion of faces, as it is this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all of Israel that are near and that are far off from that location and, again, their hearts, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord... And as a result of rejecting what you have said, to us belongs confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. As I look just north of us at a place called Washington, D.C., you know what I see? Absolute confusion and chaos. Why? Because of sin. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against Him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws which He set before us by His servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel hath transgressed Thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words. Can I just pause here again? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What is that about? It's God confirming his word. When I, God says, when I speak, you're not going to do something else and make me look foolish. My word stands. He hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as he hath done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And what is Daniel confessing? As a nation, we refuse to do that. Verse 13. Verse 14, therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil. It's the whole idea that he has guided the evil to accomplish his will. And brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten us thee renowned, gotten thee renowned, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Remember, he's fasting, he's praying. How do you think the world views the United States right now? We have been a blessing to the world, but you know what? Right now they hate us. How does that happen? God's judgment. Verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, his pleadings, Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Make sure that in your fasting and praying that God's glory is central. That's the issue. Verse 18, O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not re uh, present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. That ends his prayer. Fasting, praying from the heart. Transparency, humility, confession of sin. Now, verse 20 is very noteworthy. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, in other words, His glory again, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. All right, what does prayer and fasting do? Moves the hand of God. In this instance, God sent one of his top angels with an answer. Wow. This is the kind of humble, earnest prayer that gets answers. Now, there are personal sins and national sins where the awful chains of bondage won't be broken except by prayer and fasting. And it's time that the church in America wake up and see this. How important is it? Well, go back to Matthew's Gospel and go to chapter 17. We'll have to end here today, in this message. But notice chapter 17 and verse 14. 
And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy upon my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. And oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. You say, well, that's, wow, that's one of those exceptional kinds of situations. Can I, can I just say that we live in a nation as well as a world where there is a lot of demonic activity? Every time you hear about a mass shooting, go ahead, blame Satan. Blame a demon. Say, well, I thought that was only New Testament stuff. No, it's here. All right? A church, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be able to respond and address this stuff and offer hope, cure through Christ. So, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. God can still do that today. Then came the disciples to Jesus and said, apart, and said, Why could not we cast him out? Now, I appreciate this. They had failed. And they come to the Lord, and they're being humble and honest. Lord, we couldn't do this. Why? Notice his answer. Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. It was a heart problem, guys. A heart problem. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain. Remember my comments at the beginning? Sometimes we need mountains moved. You can say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall, be, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So, what is the answer to the unbelief in my heart that allows me to have the faith to ask of the Lord and see mighty answers? What is it? Your next verse. Howbeit this kind goeth out, say it with me, but by prayer and fasting. Well, if I just pray long enough, just fast long enough, wow. No, no, no. The problem is it's not mechanical, it's heart. It's unbelief. Can the Spirit of God work through us because we have a yielded heart to do a mighty work? So is there anything magical about fasting? No. Again, notice that prayer and fasting dealt with the sin of unbelief that hindered faith and prevented the disciples from casting out the demon. And that was just one of other things that they would be called on to do for the Lord. So do you have anything in your life, any things in your life that seem unmovable? Mountains? Things that you've you've prayed about and, and, and talked to the Lord about and, and it just seems like well, you believe you're being heard, but, but you're not seeing the mighty hand of God. Now, yes, patience is required to wait for His timing in all things. But I wonder 
if we're desperate enough to see the hand of God move? And the answer to that is simply this. How much time do we take aside to let God ex really examine our hearts And we'll set aside whatever we need to for how long He wants us to so that He can do His work and be able to work through us with answered prayer and whatever else that God wants to do in our lives. That's the essence of fasting. And the next time we're together, we're going to look at other specific reasons why we should fast. But the primary reason is because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the Spirit of God can live in me, and yet I can still be deceived because I'm not listening to Him or right with Him. And so fasting and prayer is necessary. Father, thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, thank You that You perfectly apply Your Word. And Lord, as we've looked at it today, I pray that even tonight as we finish up, that, Lord, we would truly understand what you want to do through prayer and fasting in our lives and what, what our, our attitude, our spirit before you needs to be. Father, if we have a, a church where hearts are right and folks understand the essential of prayer and fasting, we're going to see many more mighty works, mighty answers as you're able to live your life through us. Thank you for your truth today now in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.